0: In today's show, we're talking Houston Rockets with the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, Jalen Green, Alperen Shengun, Jabari Smith. There's a lot for us to get through in today's show. So Mick Bolton, what do you think?
1: Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy
0: Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed.
1: You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.
0: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always, at RedRock underscore and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. This is the show for Thursday, August the eighteenth. I thank you for making this your first listen every day. We're free and available on all platforms. And of course, today is the birthday of Fat Lever, Big Fat Day. All right, Happy Birthday to Fat Lafayette. We're going to talk Rockets. So, Warnie, let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> all right, so let's bring him in. It is the host of the Locked On Rockets podcast, Jackson Gatlin, is here with me. Jacko, how are you? Excited to be here, Josh. Always a pleasure
2: to be on the show, and uh, very excited to talk a little bit of uh, Houston Rockets basketball with you.
0: Do people call you Jacko? Because people whose name's Jackson in Australia, a lot they just get Jacko as a as a standard nickname. Do you ever get called that?
1: i i've never gotten jacko i'm either i'm either jackson or jack uh i've gotten jacks before i've had jack. two separate people on two separate occasions call me jacks but they spell it j-a-c-k-s not oh. like j-a-x uh it's a very weird like i've only and it's random because the two people who have called me that have zero relation to one another whatsoever they've never crossed paths and yet they both came up with that
2: nickname of their own accord so hmm. interestingly enough hmm I'm going to stick with Jacko.
0: Jacko. Let's... I like
2: Jacko. I like Jacko. I like Jacko.
0: <laughs> let's look at this raucous team who I tried to fit all of the players that have arrived for this team this season onto one slide. I couldn't. So the ones who aren't important, I'm not going to put on there, but Jabari Smith is here. Tari East and Ty Washington, Trevor Hudgens are the two way. Sterling Brown, Boba Mayanovic, Marquise Chris, Willie Cauley Stein, this uh, Trey Burke on that list as well. There's just a bunch of guys. They still have to make a million cuts. Marquise Chris um, arrived as well. Um, to any of the Dallas guys that came, Brown, Marjanovic, Chris, Corley Stein, Burke, do any of them stay on the roster?
1: As of right now, it looks like three out of the four of them are more than likely to get waived, and it's pretty much almost a guarantee at that point. At this point. So it's Chris, Burke, and Brown are all likely gone. Boban Marjanovic is the one name that's rumored to probably stick around in the aftermath of that trade. Uh not likely to have a major role on this rocket scene, but more so just, you know, have him stick around nice veteran presence to maybe have in that rockets
2: locker room with so many young guys running around. Uh, but, but that's pretty much it. We know Boban's always there
0: as a vibes guy. That's, that's why he's around. So, and they do have lack of depth at centre, which we're, that's why they brought Willie Cauley-Stein in, I'm guessing, on um, uh, a, a training camp deal. They lost Christian Wood, who we talked about in that trade. i uh, will talk about that a little bit later. Dennis Schroeder was there after the trade deadline. He currently has no team. Treville and Queen has gone to the Sixers, and Anthony Lamb uh, has gone nowhere. And we'll talk more about some of these guys later on. Of course, the big ones are going to be Smith and Eason with a little bit of talk on Washington. But the most important thing that we want to know now, I think this is accurate, but tell me, Jackson... Jacko, are there any injuries to worry
2: about? As of right now, no. Surprisingly, like it, it you know, there's nothing major
1: anywhere on, on the Rockets roster that should be of concern to Rockets fans. Everybody is healthy, to my knowledge, going into training camp. Kind of, they've all been working out together for months throughout the off season, uh, and which is kind of rare to be able to say that there's no major injury
0: concerns anywhere up or down the Rockets roster. We're going to talk starting five, and we might as well just get into that right now, because your starting five is a little bit different to what I expect, but I think we can all agree that there are four spots that are going to be pretty much guaranteed, and that is Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, Jabari Smith, and Alperen Shangun. You've got Eric Gordon starting in that other spot. I think it's probably going to be J. Sean Tate. Um, I guess others might think, hey, why don't they just chuck Tari Eason in there? I really don't think they'll do that immediately. But what's your rationale behind Gordon being in there? I know he's a veteran, um, but yeah, you know, he's obviously in and out of lineups with injuries and rest days. And surely they're going to look to trade him, which they should have done three years ago or two years ago. What's your rationale for Gordon in there over Tate?
1: So as it stands right now, Josh, it, you know, I, I, I'm kind of actually with you. I think it could go either way with, with Eric Gordon or Jay Sean Tate in that fifth starter spot. My gut wants to say it's Jay Sean Tate for a handful of reasons because he became a starter under Steven Silas 10 games into Steven Silas's head coaching career, hasn't looked back, has always been a starter, has earned the trust of Silas and that coaching staff is viewed as a veteran for this Rockets team. However, when you look at the one shortcoming to Jay Sean Tate's game, it's that he's not a shooter. He doesn't space the floor. And even though there's reports that he's you know, vastly improved his three ball this offseason, if he comes into training camp with a heater and he's shooting above 35% from beyond the arc, then maybe that changes the the calculus on this entire situation. But as it stands right now, Eric Eric Gordon is is the floor spacer. He's the shooter, and he's the guy that kind of further unlocks what I think the Rockets want to be able to do with that starting lineup, which is – Put favorable pieces around Jalen Green, Kevin Porter Jr., and Alperin Shagun, and and you know by extension Jabari Smith Jr., and really have a starting five that can space the floor and can allow everybody on the floor to thrive together.
0: Yeah, I think regardless of who starts, whether it is Tate or Gordon, I, I think I don't think one of them is playing thirty-three minutes; the other one's playing seventeen minutes. I think it's going to be a twenty-six each, and they'll mix and match. I don't think it matters too much in terms of what their minutes load is going to be.
1: Yeah, no, I I I'm, I'm in full agreement with you there and like you like you alluded to right, Eric Gordon's a guy, he's going to he's not going to play back to backs, he's going to you know sit out some games here and there. There's going to be plenty of opportunities where they might just have kind of like a, you know, fifth starter by committee, maybe if you're the Houston Rockets, right? There's a couple different guys who are probably going to hold that mantle as the season progresses. I do think the the better way to look at it from a Rockets perspective is there's going to be six guys who are going to get heavy minutes on this team. And it's the five names you have on the list in front of us right now on the screen. And then Jay Sean Tate being that sixth guy. Those six guys you can comfortably assume are going to get the bulk of minutes for this
0: Houston Rockets team. And that brings us to the bench group, the bench rotation, which is... One that, yeah, there's, it's up for debate, I think. And you, I asked you for five guys that we could stick into that initial rotation. You went with Dacian Nix, Josh Christopher, Garrison Matthews, Jay Sean Tate, and Usman Garuba. I agree with Christopher. I agree with Tate. I think Nix probably does get first crack at that point guard, although I'd really like to see them give it to uh, Tight. I think Garuba will, because there's, honestly, there's no other center there. Um, Garrison Matthews is interesting to me because you don't have Tari Eason in this group, and he obviously was a summer league standout. Matthews can shoot, I don't... Really know that he can do anything else. In fact, I'm pretty sure he can't do anything else, and that can have use. But why don't you have Eason in this rotation group immediately? It's not because I don't want him there, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> I, if,
1: I, if I if I if I was the coach, if I was on the staff, I'd be I, I'd be making the claim that Tari Eason should absolutely be a part of that rotation and be getting you know 15 to 20 minutes a night out of the gate immediately. But I think we have enough evidence in the two years of Steven Silas being a head coach to understand he likes to bring rookies along a little bit more slowly. And I think that when you look at this team, there's also they, they place a premium on shooting. And right now, there are three bona fide shooters on the roster. And I, I you could maybe make the argument for if you want to lump Kevin Porter Jr. into that category, he led the NBA in catch and shoot three point percentage at 48.2% last season. He was fantastic in that role. And, and that role may even grow further this year with having, you know, another year with Jalen Green. Learning as a playmaker, learning to make better reads. Alper and Shingun now in the starting lineup, setting up KPJ for easier opportunities, what have you. But there's Jabari Smith as a shooter, Eric Gordon as a shooter, and those are your two like volume shooters, quality shooters who can really space the floor out, you know, multiple steps beyond the three point line. Nobody else on the Rockets roster does that except for Garrison Matthews. Garrison Matthews gives you that shooting, and so. It's not that I want Garrison Matthews in there ahead of Tari Eason. It's just that I think that that could be something that we see in the early going of the season. And maybe it's something that they 86, 10, 15 games into the year, once they realize that they need to be playing Tari Eason a little bit more, that he is NBA ready out of the gate but I think they're going to kind of see what that shooting provides for their lineup and especially off the bench. And again, I think that Steven Silas is probably going to bring Tari Eason along a little bit more slowly, you know, much to the chagrin of Rockets fans.
0: Much as much to the chagrin of me as well, because I'm sure in most fantasy because they know what Eason can do He's just steals, of blocks. He can pass. He can shoot. He can rebound. He can score. He's a really, really interesting prospect, but you're right. They are probably going to go. So I think once Eric Gordon, if Eric Gordon is traded, that will open up obviously more minutes there on the wing for Eason, and that'll push him into that role a little bit quicker that way. We'll get back to talking about some more of these young players in a second, but you are hanging out with friends. You're smashing a few froffies. A few becomes a few too many, and as the evening comes to an end, and people start to head out. You think of calling for a ride. Then you go, nah, I live nearby. I can just make it home okay. It's no big deal. What's the odds you get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that can happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. That escalated really quickly, and that's exactly what can happen. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Let's talk about young guys. Some of these guys in your country, Jacko, can't actually legally drink. And that's what we're looking at, a bunch of these younger players. Let's start with Jalen Green, who, like so many shooting guards who enter the NBA, struggle when they begin the year. They have efficiency problems, they're tasked with too high usage, and things don't look good. And then in the second half of the season, the last six weeks of the season or so, it all started to come together. And we got some really good stuff happening from Jalen Green. He averaged 21 points a game over the last two months of the season. He averaged three assists. He shot 48% from the field. He shot 40% from three. And we saw the exact, basically mirror image happen with Anthony Edwards the season prior. So most people will just look at that trajectory and go, well, Edwards did that second half of the season, came out, was really good in his second season. Um, I'm expecting the exact same thing for Jalen Green. And to be honest, I pretty much am expecting that same thing. Should we pump the brakes on that at all? Or is this high usage, close to league average, or actually a little bit over league average efficiency run that he had for those final 30 games? Is that a realistic expectation for Jalen?
1: I think it's safe to expect that out of him. Ultimately, you know... When we look at that that stretch of the season that you're alluding to, Jalen started to really kind of come into his own as a player. I do think it's maybe a little bit overblown saying like he had a strong second half of the season. It was really when he came back from his first hamstring injury where he had, you know, missed about I think it was 12 or 13 games Ooh. due to the hamstring. Came back from that and he was you know, 49 games, a 49-game sample size where he shot, you know, 36.5% from three, average 18.5 points per game. The efficiency wasn't quite where you wanted to be, just 44% from the floor. That started to improve as the season went along. But it was really that final stretch of the season, that seven-game tear, where the Rockets shut down Christian Wood and KPJ, Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green became options one and two for this Rockets team. And that's basically going to be the same thing going into this next season is those two guys will be the clear cut first and second options. And it could be on any given night, maybe KPJ is taking the majority of the shots, maybe Jalen Green's taking the majority of shots, but those two guys are very clearly the Rockets' first and second options. Maybe that, again, it changes on a night-to-night basis, but no longer having like the uncertainty of Christian Wood and what his role is and how you're gonna facilitate the shots between him and other other guys on the roster, all that's gone. So I think we can very safely expect Jalen Green to come out of the gate strong. I'm expecting him to get like 20 shots, you know, 20 shots up a night at a minimum. I kind of have him pegged as somewhere. I think he's gonna finish in between twenty to twenty three points per game this season, which based
0: on what he did last season, I don't think that's a crazy jump to expect. I've actually got him at 24 points per game for this coming season. And I think the big thing that's going to be interesting with him in fantasy and like, we can look at his ranks on sites at the moment. and They're way too low. It's going to come, it's going to come way up. And I think he's got potential top 40 numbers, but the thing that does hold him back from his rookie season, is extraordinarily low steals and quite low assist numbers. Um, do you think that he'll be tasked with running the offense more in terms of running pick and roll and getting that assist number up? Does he have that ability to go from like three assists to five? Cause that's, that's going to be for people playing fantasy. That's going to be the big determination, whether he's a top 50 guy or a top 25 player.
1: I I'd say, I, I would say the scoring, I feel incredibly confident about the yep. assist numbers, not so much. And it's not that from a basketball perspective, that's that Jalen's not capable of doing that. But I think that the way that the Rockets are going to try to utilize a lot of their offense this season, I'm hoping Alper and Shingun's numbers are the ones that are actually going to be the ones to soar a little bit more. The way that I'm hoping to see Steven Silas really implement some of these guys offensively, it, it kind of also comes down to if he's going to stagger Jalen Green and KPJ, because if Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green share the floor all the time together if their minutes are basically mirrored. The ball is more oftentimes than not in Kevin Porter Jr.'s hands, and Jalen Green is effectively playing off the ball. He can still create in that role. He can be the secondary creator. He can be the guy, you know, know, second point of attack offensively, after the initial action, whatever. But he's not the type of player that you just give the ball to and say, all right, you're going to bring up the ball for 15, 20 minutes a night. At least that's not how the Rockets utilized him last season. And I'm not expecting them to change that dynamic overnight going into this next season.
0: As people who are watching here on YouTube, you can see the list of all of the young guys they got on this team. I'm going to talk about Shingun and Kevin Porter a little bit later. Let's talk quickly about Jabari Smith. A lot of people were disappointed with his summer league. Um, but... Part of the thing with Jabari was he was never going to be a high-usage number one offensive guy. We knew that. His value is in being a complimentary offensive guy who can be a good shooter. And the shots didn't go in. Who cares? There's like five games. No one cares about that. But being that really strong defensive presence. And I thought, Jackson, he basically just did what I would have hoped that he would do. And what he did in Summer League should just relatively easily translate over to the NBA. Absolutely.
1: No, and, and I thank you, Josh, for being one of the people who say, you know, I don't care about a five-game sample size, right? We see we see players go through stretches of 5, Ooh. 10, sometimes 15 games where they're slumping, they can't hit anything, couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat. It's unfortunate that it happened to Jabari in Summer League when he had a chance to really showcase himself, when you had other top talent there like Paolo Bancaro and, and Chet Holmgren having some, you know, games where they showed out a little bit offensively. But I agree. Defensively, he, he actually impressed me more than what I was expecting from a defensive standpoint and I think some of those stats are going to be easily translatable I think he's going to get you know I think he's going to get blocks every game I think he's going to get steals every game I think he's going to be really involved in what the Rockets do defensively because he's going to kind of have to make up for some of the shortcomings of Alper and Shingun defensively and I think that he displayed that ability to kind of be a defensive presence less so in line with just being a good one-on-one defender a high quality one-on-one guy but somebody who kind of changes the complexion of your defense as a whole and i think we saw that very much on display in summer league he's going to slot right into the rockets and he's going to get some of the easiest shots of his entire career playing off guys like Jalen green like kevin porter jr like al brinching those are types of creators that the rockets unfortunately didn't have at their disposal in summer league and so jabari is going to be Effectively, at times, like the third, maybe even the fourth option offensively. And he's just going to be able to really make his mark felt on the defensive side of the floor and then, you know, hitting spot up shots on the offensive end. I'm
0: going to, I'm going to talk about some more of these guys later. We've spoken about Easton a little bit. I do want to talk just quickly about Washington because, again, I thought that he slid too far in the draft. I thought he should have been a guy that was, you yeah, know, should have been taken probably in the top 20. Dacian Nix is far from established as a backup point guard. I, I might even talk about well, I'll talk about this later. I'm not even sure that Kevin Porter Jr is established as 100% a lead guard sort of a player. Um yeah who you want to be your point guard more of a combo sort of a guy. Like did you what did you see from Washington? How does the team view him? I'm assuming they don't look at him as like a just you know he's a late round late first round guy. He's more of a player who they think that yeah, fell a little bit and they've got a lot of value in that selection. Cause I believe they traded back up to get into that uh, 29 spot. Um, so how are they viewing him? Like is there future starter upside in Washington? Do they think?
1: I think that when you look at where they where the rockets organization is at with the confidence that they have in both Dasha Knicks and Ty Ty Washington is that, for starters, it's almost like they're hedging a little bit, right? Yep. Th- this is going to be an incredibly important year for Kevin Porter Jr. You mentioned he might not be true lead guard material. I- I'm right there with you, Josh. He might not be. Yeah, there's a lot of potential there, and he's flashed a lot of that potential. This season is going to be incredibly important for the for what KPJ's future is, both in the NBA and for the Houston Rockets. And so to have two backup guards in Dacian Nix and Ty Ty Washington that have shown... Uh, the flashes of talent that we've seen out of them is really nice to be able to have to kind of, all right, maybe KPJ doesn't work out. Let's go to the young guys and let's kind of see what they give. I loved what we saw out of TyTy Ty Washington in, in summer league. I think that he has an incredible feel for the game so far at a very early age, right? He had, you know, the 17 assists at, at, at Kentucky, which is just absolutely ridiculous. I think that was a school record. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I'm, I'm going off memory here, but what we saw out of him is a guard who's comfortable both operating with the basketball in his hands and off the basketball. He really is kind of a combo guard in every true essence of the uh, of the term. And I think we saw that on display in summer league because he had to play off of other guards quite a bit like Dacia Nix and like Josh Christopher, guys who were kind of commanding the basketball quite a bit more. But then he also had those opportunities, especially in transition, which is where I thought he absolutely flourished, was getting the ball, pushing the pace in transition, and just having that feel for the game, creating easy opportunities for his teammates, guys who unfortunately in summer league weren't hitting the majority of their shots for the Houston Rockets, but just that ability to drive in, collapse the defense, find the open man, and he's got an incredible floater game at this stage in his career. I've told this story a couple different times, but in summer league I was sitting there watching him get shots up, Before the game, everybody else was shooting threes around the perimeter. And Ty Ty Washington was just camped in the paint about five, you know, five to eight feet away from the rim and was just tossing up floaters and was just ping ponging back and forth from, you know, like left block, right block, center, left block, right. He made like 20 in a row before he finally barely missed one off the back iron. It was like effortless for him.
0: It's going to be interesting to watch. I think he's a really, really intriguing player who did have some challenges at Kentucky, but we've seen so many guards at Kentucky have those challenges and then they just disappear when they come to the NBA. So we'll see exactly how that looks for uh, for Ty-Ty in a Houston Rockets uniform. Jackson, are you a big uh, Davis Mills guy? Uh, not particularly. I'm just not a big football guy, unfortunately. Sorry to let you down, Josh. Well, I was just going to say, because the Houston Texans, your, uh, your local team in Houston, they've got a preseason game coming. And if you want to look at all the odds, the lines, for any... Preseason action across the NFL. Betterline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs from your favorite sports and events. It's the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. That might be Major League Baseball. Maybe you're more of an Astros guy. NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, or even golf. Betterline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports wagering information from live in-game betting scores and podcasts. The Texans are actually three-point favorites against the Rams uh, in preseason. That might be the last time they're favored all season. Who knows? Who knows? But if you want to check those odds out, you can do it over at Bet Online. So head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action that is happening today. Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay. What other questions do I have for you? This is an interesting one. What's the motivation of this team this season? Hey, Josh. Oh, did I freeze? You froze. Yeah.
2: I let you get through the ad read so it'd be easier to cut later, but you're frozen right now. So if you want to just restart it really
1: quick and see if we can just continue.
0: Alright, so I don't actually know what's going on with the camera, why it keeps frozen frozen? Freezing. But I am back here. Um now. We're ready. I'm animate. I'm ready to go. And we're here to talk about the Rockets and their motivation for this coming season. Um, Jacko. Like what are they trying to do? Are they are they gonna try and win or is it gonna be another season of um you're losing to get a high draft pick? Do they even need to stop playing guys to be bad? Like we've seen that you know, over the course of the year we saw Christian Wood and Dennis Schroeder miss time down the stretch last season. But are they actually are they going to have to move into a situation where you know, green doesn't play in end of march and april or kevin porter has to sit down or will they just be bad enough anyway i think you could argue that them sitting christian wood actually made them
1: slightly more competitive yeah, to in nice. the year last season um, but so it might have been to their detriment but they still wanna they you know they, they had some really competitive games there down the stretch uh with some other teams that were trying to bottom out uh as beautifully as possible as is one to do at the end of a, a season like that. But no, I think this year, Josh, it's still gonna be all the emphasis is still going to be placed on development, right? It's still gonna be placed on seeing what they can what they can really grow here in Houston. But what I'm most expecting to see from this Rockets team is is more so of an identity shift. And I think that they managed to do that with the players that they drafted, guys who are you know, guys who pride themselves on what they can provide, uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint on the basketball floor, like Jabari Smith Jr., like Tari Eason, even Ty Ty Washington, a guy who's, you know, taken taken pride in the defensive side of the basketball, adding names like that to this roster. And then you add a guy like Lionel Hollins to the coaching staff under Steven Silas, kind of that enforcer on the coaching staff, somebody who can help hopefully get a good defensive foundation for all these young guys kind of established and then being able to build up from that point. I'm not expecting them to be even remotely in the play in discussion. I think that when you look out west, there are conceivably like 11 teams that are all vying for uh, you know different spots out west for the for the 10, you know, overall play in spots and somebody's going to be disappointed of that of that group of 11 teams. I think right now there's what? Rockets, Thunder, The Jazz are going to be safely tanking, and then the Spurs, and then past that, everybody else wants a taste of that play-in tournament. So the Rockets aren't going to be able to make it to that. They're not making that jump. Any Rockets fans who think that jump is possible, I'd say temper your expectations. That said, I don't think they're going to be tanking either. Like, I don't think it's going to be rolling out there intentionally trying to lose games. It's going to be, we're going to throw the young guys out there. And if they win some games for us, great. If they lose some games for us, that's great too because it's all at the end of the day about development and seeing what they have
0: with this core guys. We've talked or alluded to or mentioned that they traded Christian Wood and there was some issues with Christian Wood in the locker room and him complaining about touches and suspended for a game and all that sort of stuff. So... Was the trade of Christian Wood about getting Christian Wood all the way out of this team? Like, get him out of here. Or was it about we're opening up minutes for Alperin and Schengen, Or is it a little bit of both?
1: I think it's a little bit of both, honestly. You know, I, I think it can be both. I'd say that, you know, there was... And this is unfortunate for Christian Wood, right? Like, at the end of the day, he was a professional for... The Majority of his time in Houston, he always said and did pretty much all the right things, except for that one, you know, halftime incident that he had where then he was suspended the following game. And but past that, I, I empathize with the guy, right? He was shoved into an awful situation in Houston, one where he showed up because he wanted he he was, you know, signed and traded to the Rockets to come here and play under Steven Siles, who had a prior existing relationship with, and to play alongside James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And then those two guys are gone. And he shoved into the spotlight as this like, pseudo number one option, that's just not what he is, right? Christian Wood at his best is probably a third option who, you know, needs an alpha in front of him to probably keep him in line on the floor, which is why I'm actually optimistic that he is going to find a lot of success with the Dallas Mavericks. I do wish him all the best, you know, in, in his future career endeavors. I don't, you know, harbor any ill will towards him as a player. Uh again, he was, you know, relatively a professional for the majority of his time other than that one little blip here in Houston. But it was, I think, about Unlocking what they had with Alper and Shingoon. You've seen this organization. Originally, they had Daniel Tyson Christian Wood as the starting front court at the starting point of this past last season. And then they realized, oh, Alper and Shingoon is much more NBA ready than we thought he was. And we need to find a way to get him into the rotation. And it got to a point that. What, 15 games into his four-year contract with the Rockets, they decided to bench Daniel Tice and just start handing him DMPs because they needed to prioritize getting actual minutes for this young Turkish big man who really started flashing a ton of potential. And then I think this was just the the following set of the of you know kind of the Uh, evolution of that trade, right? As they got rid of Daniel Tice to unlock more minutes for Alper and Shingun, they continued to see what they had with him. And then they said, you know what? We feel comfortable in getting rid of Christian Wood to unlock a starter role for Alper and Shingun because he is now the de facto starting five for this Houston Rockets for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, like there is no other real five on this team and I think he's going to work really well. With Jabari Smith, he does have some defensive issues. He is quite good in terms of getting steals and playing passing lanes and he's smart positioning-wise, but he's not the greatest defender or rim protector. Um, I know people harp on about the foul trouble that Goon had. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. But he's still, he's in the games that he started, he still played 30 minutes a night and I would expect him to be around that mark, if not higher, this season. I think people might get overexcited for him in fantasy and draft him too high, but I think he's going to have a really, really strong season again because they are looking at him as a part of that core it's green it's smith it's shangun and it's porter probably would you say that shangun or porter is more likely to be like part of who are they more invested in do you think moving forward
1: oh that is an excellent question josh and i think that i think it kind of depends on how you view the, the that idea of like investing in a player because right now i think there's there's a higher risk if you invest more in kevin porter jr than if you were to invest in Alperin and Ching-Gun, right he's still on his rookie deal there's a lot of club control left like you can kind of reasonably see what you have with Brin and Ching-Gun for this next year or two as a starting center and figure out if he can make it in the nba whereas this next season i don't want to call it make or break for kevin porter jr but it's kind of make or break because it's all right you have to show us this next year that you can be a lead guard And go to restricted free agency. And maybe there's a team out there that wants to offer you the bag. Maybe we'll get you on a team-friendly deal. What have you. There were some rumors that the Rockets had started kind of discussing with Kevin Porter Jr. The idea of giving him a contract extension this off season, which I thought was way too early. There's zero reason to do it at this point when you don't have a large enough sample size of him being consistent over the course of an entire season, not just half a season, not one third of a season, an entire season as the lead guard. So, I think that right now the Rockets are incredibly invested. Everything that I understand about the situation, they are very invested in Kevin Porter Jr., his ceiling, what he can become as a player. But at the same time, they're also really incredibly high on Alperin and Shingun. I think that just one situation is inherently more risky than the other. And one situation has kind of, the timer is coming to an end on the Kevin Porter Jr. situation where they're going to have to make a decision on him much sooner than Alper and Shingun. So the Alp situation, they've got more time to figure out what they've got. Kevin Porter Jr., they're going to figure out whether he's
2: a long-term rocket by the end of this next season.
0: Who's a breakout candidate on this team, Jacko?
2: <sighs> it's got to be, uh, you know, i am actually... There's so many options, <laughs> Sorry, really. if you want to...
1: I know, like I'm, I'm so, I'm so torn, right? You can go up and down the entire list. Um, I mean, Alperin Shingun's getting a starter, uh, you know, a starting role now. And if his per 36 numbers hold up from last year, he's going to be absolutely absurd. Kevin Porter Jr. could be poised for a really big year. We saw both he and Jalen Green absolutely on fire in a seven game stretch to in the season when they became, like I said earlier, the clear cut number one and two options for this Houston Rockets team. Even to, ele- I think my my one sleeper pick that I will throw out there, is Jay Sean Tate. I think that Jay Sean Tate last year, I don't want to say he had a down year, but I think one of the things that makes Jay Sean Tate such an exceptional player is the fact that he kind of embodies that point forward role to an extent. And we didn't see as much of it last year th- as we did in his rookie year. In his rookie year, it felt like he was very much like, all right, give me the ball. I'm going to create for my teammates. I can drive the ball in and kick it out and find open shooters. And, you know, he kind of had some some Draymond Green do his game a little bit. He's been working out with Draymond Green this past summer trying to, you know, absorb as much knowledge from him as possible, trying to figure out, you know, what parts of his game he can emulate. So for me, I think it's Jay Tate. I think he, if he kind of gets back to those rookie season roots a little bit, focuses more on being a playmaker as well as the exceptional perimeter defense and and at times even interior defense for a guy his size that he can provide. If he comes in with a three ball, then he suddenly becomes one of the, premier 3 and D wings. And it's not even, it's a disservice to call him a 3 and D wing for everything else that he provides. But he becomes one of the premier like defensive three-point specialist, point forwards, whatever you want to call him in the league if that three ball becomes a real thing.
0: Interesting. I'm uh, I'm not as high on Jason Tate, really. I think he's fine. I think he's like probably... Best, for me, best case, he's like an eighth man on a fringe playoff team or a you know, seventh or eighth seed. That, that's where I see his career going. But you, know, you watch him a lot more closely than I do a lot more times. So it's interesting to get that different perspective. I'm just not as high on him. And I do think that you know within time, he's going to be replaced by Tari Yusin in that group. But again, if he does come in and starts banging in 38% of his threes, then there is some real upside there. I'm just, I'm just not as sold on tape. What about the other side of things? A regression candidate.
1: I, you know, as far as a regression candidate goes this season, it's not. I don't think there's anybody on the roster that's really set up for kind of regression. I don't. I don't see anybody that's going to be taking necessarily a smaller role than they had this past season. Maybe depending on how the wing minutes kind of shake out, Josh Christopher could be a guy that maybe gets squeezed a little bit for some minutes here and there. Because I think that the Rockets roster, I mean, you, you consider how they're trying to balance things here. You imagine KPJ and Jalen Green are getting 30 plus a night. Jabari's going to get, you know, 30 or so minutes a night. Shingoon's getting 30 something at the five. There's only so many actual wing minutes to go around on this roster. And I do worry that Josh Christopher may be the guy who finds himself kind of at the short end of the stick of those of that like minute squish. So, I don't want to say necessarily a regression for Josh, but he was one of those players that definitely found more rhythm the more playing time he was getting. And if he finds himself just getting, you know, an inconsistent, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a night, you know, if that because there's so many other, you know, there the the rest of the minutes for the guard rotation are being taken ahead of him, then he could be a guy that actually winds up struggling a little bit uh just to kind of find his role within this within this team within this system.
0: I think, yeah, that, that, that's fair enough. I, I think that Garrison Matthews' is 26 minutes a night will probably come down this season. I, I don't see him getting, but, you know, you, you're, a little, again, you're a lot higher on him than what I am. It's a lot of rotation decisions that Steven Silas has to make with this team. I think this one's obvious, Jackson. Is this team better than last season? Absolutely.
2: I, I think top to bottom, they're going to just, just overnight by
1: getting rid of Christian Wood and you look at their start at what, what projects to be their starting lineup this season, they're adding so much more size. And I think that's going to be the really important asset. That's going to help them out a lot is because you can play a good defensive possession. You can force a miss. The Rockets got crushed on the boards consistently last season. They had Christian Wood at the five, they had Jay Sean Tate who is an undersized four at six foot four. You know, it was not great for closing out defensive possessions strong with the defensive rebound. They're going to have Alper and Shingun who, even though the rebounding numbers aren't like they don't jump out at you crazy off the page. He's he does all the little work to secure team rebounds, right? Where he'll box out, he'll throw his body up against a big, and he might not be the guy who gets credited with the board all the time, but he's going to put in the work to make sure that the team somehow secures the rebound. And then Jabari Smith Jr. Again, you're adding this front court. You go from six foot four and six 10 to six foot 10 and six foot 10. Like it's it, the the front courts are going to be a world of difference. So yeah, I think this team is going to be much, much better better off this year. And that's not even getting into the offensive side Mentioned it a couple times, Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, they have their kind of offensive identity more set in stone this season than they did last year. Jalen Green's not going to have to try and adjust to the NBA game as the season goes along. He's much more comfortable in his own skin as an NBA player now. Uh, top to bottom, much, much
0: better team. Last serious question I've got for you. I think it's really, really a quick one. You can even just give a one-word answer. Who's the most likely player to be traded? Um, and if, I'm sure I assume it's just Eric Gordon.
1: Yeah, it's it's got to be Eric Gordon. And in fact, in all my projections, I keep saying, you know, I'm like, look, if Eric Gordon's still a Houston Rocket by the time training camp rolls around, he's probably the de facto fifth starter. Um, but it's it's one of those giant sized ifs because the Rockets have had teams that have been interested in, in procuring his services the last couple of seasons, uh, especially this last season. They just didn't want to bring back a late first rounder in this, you know, this past NBA draft they've wanted and been adamant about receiving a future first for Eric Gordon for some time now. And they're not really in a position where they feel like they have to move him. You know, he's one of those vets that it's kind of nice to have him around because he doesn't need the ball in his hands to impact the game at a high level. He spaces the floor. He likes being here. He's kind of bought into this role as the, the veteran for this group of young guys. They all like having him around. He just built a house in Houston. He's content to be here. He's not like, you know he's not chomping at the bit to get traded to you know a contender and be out of Houston. He's not upset about the situation whatsoever. He's content with this role. Now, if that changes somewhere down the line, because the Rockets get a package they can't resist, then that might be
2: the case. And that's just, you know, that's just business at the NBA level. So.
0: All right, let's move on to some fun stuff. People who have been listening to my shows will know what this is. So it's, we're looking at these, Things that, they're on a website, Basketball Index, which I'm sure you've seen, Jackson. They've got a whole bunch of different like uh, metrics that they grade players on. And we're looking at the three-point shooting talent, the playmaking talent, and finishing talent. Now, three-point shooting talent isn't who's the best three-point shooter because you know, that's just going to be three-point percentage. That's based on, yeah. You know, is that really the the situation that you always want when you're looking for a three? Because you've got to look at difficulty of shots, contested nature of shots, pull-ups versus catch and shoots, um, your late shot clock, all that sort of stuff. So who's overall the best three-point shooter that graded out on this team? Who's the best playmaker? It's not the most assists, but the guy that was able to create the most passes, potential assists, scoring gravity, position of assists, all that sort of thing. And then finishing talent, not just about grabbing rebounds and putbacks, but getting to the rim and driving and attacking. All those things are important. They they weigh a little bit higher in terms of your finishing talent so again i would just want to see how a a local host would view these things versus how these metrics shake out to see how much you know trust or faith i guess we can put in them not that i doubt that they're uh, the way they go about it now three-point shooting talent who do you think would have graded out as the highest three-point shooting talent given all that stuff that i clumsily just uh, described to you
2: <laughs> oh man uh and this is from last season correct
1: last, right? like full season, full,
2: full season. Yep, okay full season I'm gonna say
1: it's 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 either Eric Gordon or Garrison Matthews. It's gotta be one of those two.
0: I was absolutely amazed that it was neither of those two. And it was, okay. it was, in fact, Kevin Porter Jr. Now, we look at him as a guy that can struggle with his shot. But you mentioned it earlier. He shot, okay, he shot 38% from three over the last two months of the season. He was at 37.5 over the course of the year. And because of the difficult nature of the pull-ups that he was taking and the self-created threes, he graded out as the best three-pointer. I was shocked. I was shocked that that was the case. But then when you look at it, I didn't realize that he would actually shot 38% from three over the course of the season, which is a really, really good number. So that's encouraging for his efficiency moving forward that he was actually that good from three. I was really, I was really kind of going back and
1: forth in my head about that. But when you started saying, you know, a degree of difficulty of some of the shots and stuff, I started thinking, especially the late shot clock one, because Eric Gordon and Garrison Matthews shoot so many late shot clock threes that I really started thinking, OK, it's maybe that's going to like bump their metrics up a little bit. But yeah, again, I mentioned earlier, Kevin Porter Jr. was the best catch and shoot three point shooter in the entire NBA. Plus, he he got a lot of his opportunities off the dribble, self-created. Um, So the degree of difficulty on a lot of his attempts were
0: through the roof. It was really it was really surprising for me to say that. But. Then I go back and look at it and go, oh, okay, that's that's some real scope for him to improve moving forward and the other areas of his game, is some of his two-point shooting, but he put together that really strong season in terms of that three-point shooting talent. What about playmaking? And now you've got me second guessing myself, Josh. This is terrible.
1: <laughs> I wish I would have done better homework coming in, but I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with my gut. And I'm gonna say it's gotta be as far as like just overall playmaking, degree of difficulty, the way they leverage things, uh, potential
2: assists, all of that kind of rolled into one. I'm going to say Alperen Shingun.
0: I think he was th- second or third because it, it was Kevin Porter Jr. as well, which again, KPJ <laughs> just just coming to the top of these grades. I'll, I'll tell you now, he, he didn't finish top in finishing. This one, I think this one surprised me more than Kevin Porter Jr. being the best three-point shooting talent on the team. Who is the best finisher on this team? You're know, driving, finishing through contact, um, your difficult shots, not just you know, easy putbacks. <sighs>
2: If I go O for three on this, Josh, like I'm gonna <laughs> be really upset at you because
1: you're making me look terrible right now. I feel better the fact that I've been like remotely close, like on these. Um there's a part of me that really wants to say Eric Gordon, and then there's another part of me that really wants to say Alper and Shingoon. And I'm like really close on both of those.
2: I'm gonna go Eric Gordon, actually. It was Jashuan Tite.
1: And that would have been my my third. I'm like, I'm running through these all in my head, trying to think who is the best finisher. And Jay Sean Tate's name is absolutely up there. Okay. All right. I like it. And you know what? It's not that I'm like blindsided by any of these. It's just trying to weigh like from what I can go off of off the eye test versus what we, what apparently the
2: advanced stats are telling us. I love, I love this list though. It makes sense. It doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Here
0: is another really interesting question. We talked. A little bit about this earlier, and this is not, I'm not trying to, you know, guide you in terms of which direction to answer this, but which player on the Rockets played the highest percentage of their minutes while in foul trouble? Now, there is your definitions of what foul trouble means. I think it's like two fouls in the first quarter and three to five in the first half, whatever it is. But just, yeah, it's in general, it just vibes when we think, oh, a player's in foul trouble. Which player played with the highest percentage of their total minutes while in foul trouble?
2: Oh man. I'm gonna go. I still I got I gotta go with my gut here and I gotta say it's you know what? I'm gonna say Jalen Green. Jalen Green struggled
0: with fouls a lot last season. It wasn't. It was and I was shocked at this one. It was Jay Sean Tate. He was fucking okay, okay. He was f- yeah. f- first in the NBA. He played 14.5% of his minutes in foul trouble. Shen was like eighth in the NBA and second on the Rockets at about ten percent. Tate averaged, I think, 3.9 fouls per game in his 26 minutes, which is quite a lot. Now, he didn't really foul out a huge amount, but he would always pick up fouls. And I I, I, I was not. I was expecting shang just to be number one, clearly, on this team. But he wasn't. It was Tate who was right up there playing in foul trouble. But obviously, you know, I guess it goes to show that foul trouble doesn't always mean you foul out because uh, that wasn't really an issue for Jay Sean Tate last season. Jacko, that'll do it for us. Sorry for the uh, the tough questions, but we're done. <laughs>
2: No, I, I I love the tough questions. Those are great. And again,
1: I wasn't, I I love, I love the answers because I started psyching myself out, especially after that first (laughs) one with the way that you presented that information so beautifully at the top, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I love the information. I think it's, I think it's a great use of the advanced stats.
0: Let's check out what you've got going on at Lockdown Rockets at the moment. Tell everyone.
1: Yeah, we're just going through the offseason right now. We've got a fun little what-if series running over at Locked on Rockets, just trying to see what are some of the biggest what-if scenarios across uh, the Houston Rockets franchise history. We just put out an episode, or we're about to put out an episode, I should say, about what if LeBron, jo- LeBron James had joined the Houston Rockets back in 2018 after they lost in Game 7 against the Golden State Warriors. So that should be a ton of fun to navigate. And then past that, we're breaking down all of the Rockets' rookies, what they bring to the table. We've done breakdowns on Jabari Smith Jr. Tari Eason we will have one coming up soon on the backup point guard battle between Dacia Nix and Ty Ty Washington. So we'll be on the lookout for that.
0: Go check out Locked On Rockets. Go follow Jackson on Twitter, JT Gatlin. You can follow him over there. Jackson, thanks for coming on the show with me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Josh. And that will do it for today's show. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. For here on YouTube, thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.